What up, creatures from cyberspace? John here from the Grave Talk podcast. And today we're going to talk about Fire in the Sky and the true story behind the film. So for those who don't know, Fire in the Sky is a alien abduction movie that was released in 1993. Uh, it was directed by Robert Lieberman. It was written by Tracy Torme. And it was starring D.B. Sweeney, Robert Patrick, Craig Sheffer, Peter Berg, and James Garner. Um, this was a pretty popular movie when it came out. It was it made $19.9 million on a $15 million budget, and it had a huge marketing campaign about it being based on a true story. So I watched this movie, and I got to say, it doesn't really hold up. Um, when I was a kid, it terrified me. Watching it now as an adult less so. The alien scenes hold up really, really well, um, the abduction part. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of that. Most of this movie takes is the story of this crew of people uh, reacting to someone getting abducted. And that part turns out to be really boring, unfortunately. The acting doesn't really hold up. It kind of feels like a made-for-TV movie, which is odd considering this is a movie by Paramount Pictures and it was a kind of tentpole release at the time but I guess it's you know geez 26 years old now so it's starting to show its age in sort of the the texture and tone of the film so honestly I don't know that I'd recommend it if you've never seen it if you have seen it especially if you saw it as a child and you remember it as this really traumatizing experience um, don't watch it again. It, you're going to sort of ruin that memory that you have. Um, if you are really compelled to search it out, maybe just find all of the alien abduction parts on YouTube and watch those instead, because that part is actually pretty cool. It's just the rest of it, and not so much. So without further ado, let's get into the story behind the story. So all the ads and the commercials and pretty much everything about this movie made a huge deal about it being uh, a true story and one of the most documented, amazing alien abduction stories of all time. Um, but as soon as you sort of dig into it, you find out that it's not quite as impressive uh, as the movie wants you to believe. So to sort of set the tone, this movie released in 1993, but the actual abduction took place in 1975. And we're going to go back to October 20th, 1975. This is about two weeks before Travis uh, Walton was abducted or claims to be abducted by aliens. Now, on October 20th, a movie called The UFO Incident played on NBC. This movie chronicled uh, one of the first abduction stories to ever really break into American pop culture. And it was a smash hit. I mean, it was like the kind of movie phenomenon you don't really see too much of this day and age coming out of network television but it was so popular that it really brought ufo abductions back into the mainstream and moreover led to a spike in ufo abduction claims now while that movie was airing mike rogers um and he's played by robert patrick in this film was a crew chief uh, of a lumber job this is all you know portrayed pretty accurately in the movie the job was for the u.s 
Forest Service, and he had to clear out some underbrush in about 1,200 acres of forest. Mike had bid for this job and won because his bid was comically low. Um, it was, I think, 30% lower than the next lowest bid above his. Turns out that was too low, and Mike couldn't make a profit and successfully complete this uh, job at the same time. They had 200 working days to clear the forest. Uh, by the end of the original contract, they had only cleared 70% of that forest. They applied for a extension to the U.S. Forest Service. The Forest Service gave them an extension, but for missing their contract, they lowered the amount they were going to pay them by $1 per acre. Because the bid was already so low, this just put Mike further and further into debt uh, for doing this job. Also, Mike was really worried that if he failed to complete this contract, um, he, the Forest Service wouldn't hire him again. He had already actually failed on a previous contract, so he did not want to fail again. So he started looking for uh, a way out of this contract, and he landed on this act of God escape clause, which most contracts have essentially if some sort of phenomenon like a hurricane or a tornado prevents you from completing the work that was really wildly outside of your control, you can escape the contract without any repercussions. So Mike Rogers is looking away around, looking for a way out of this contract. Um, the UFO incident airs on NBC, and lucky for uh, Mike, he has a certified UFO fanatic in Travis Walton on his crew. Travis is played by D.B. Sweeney in the film, and he has an older brother, Dwayne, uh, who is notably not in the movie. They were uh, huge UFO buffs, along with their mother, Mary Collette. Um, they had already had a history of reporting UFO sightings. Um, and in 1963, Travis claims he was chased through the woods by aliens. They were so invested in UFO culture that Travis and Dwayne even had a plan. If they ever had the opportunity to get abducted, as Dwayne called it, he said, we would immediately get directly under the object. If one of us didn't make the grade to try and convince the uh, whoever was in the craft to come back and get the other one. Um, so these were a pair of folks who really, really wanted to be abducted. Now, on top of Mike looking for a way out of his contract, um, Travis was aware that the National Enquirer was offering an award of $100,000 for convincing evidence of extraterrestrial visits. And on top of that, they were offering five dollars to $10,000 just for the most impressive story of the year, uh, most impressive abduction story, that is. Okay, looking at this from Mike's perspective, this UFO abduction possibility is a way to kill two birds with one stone. It gives them an act of God to break the contract without you know any the punishment from the Forest Service, and it's a way for him and his crew to make a tremendous amount of cash to recoup some of the costs from the low bid he put in. That takes us up to the night of the abduction. The movie does a decent job of representing how Travis and Mike and the whole gang claim it happens. They are driving home at the end of a shift, you know, from clearing this forest, they see a light in the sky, they drive to it, uh, everyone's scared, but Travis jumps out of the truck, like he's compelled to this light, and they describe it as he gets zapped up by this UFO. The movie posits that this might be some sort of mind control, or Travis is just so odd, 
But remember, he had already discussed this uh, possibility with his brother, Dwayne. And this is exactly what they said would happen. Um, because the movie cuts all that out, it really makes Travis's motivations a lot less clear than they are in real life, even if you posit that this did actually happen. So they get uh, Travis gets abducted, and the rest of the movie it covers the five days that he's missing. And in the movie, the town turns against him, and they all think you know these these uh, they all think Mike Rogers and his crew are murderers, and it leads to all these you know dramatic scenes. Um, very little of that actually happened in real life. A prime example is in the movie, Mike Rogers and his crew are super reluctant to take a lie detector test. And they only take one because they uh, go to this town hall where the town is discussing if they are murderers. And finally, they're like, we're going to prove that we're free, blah, 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 and take this lie detector test. In reality, they were very anxious to take a lie detector test really immediately deviating past like the first 10 minutes of this movie. It's really deviating from what happened in real life. They take this lie detector test and they're asked three questions. Did they harm Travis Walton? Did they know where his body was? And had they seen a UFO? Um, and they pass. They do pass this lie detector test. And for people who believe that Travis was abducted, they use that last question as proof that the crew did see a UFO. So the proctor of the test has gone on record multiple times explaining that that question doesn't mean, doesn't mean what people think it means. It doesn't, it's not proof that they'd seen a UFO. One quote, for example, that does not make it a valid test as far as verifying the UFO incident. I wish people here would realize that, but there's no way you can even get them to listen to you. He's been saying this for like 30 years. Um, since there's only one question about a UFO, there's not enough to you know, properly extrapolate the results of a lie detector test from that. The purpose of this test was to rule out if they had killed Travis. That was a leading theory at the time, right? The authorities found it much more believable than Travis was abducted by a UFO. So throughout the five days, they did an extensive search and they couldn't find him. And then, boom, Travis returns. Now, the movie has this be, you know, he's in a gas station, he's naked, he's catatonic, uh, and all this kind of stuff. In real life, it wasn't like that. He did call from a gas station, but other than being a little droggy, uh, he really showed no signs of injury or ill effect. He goes to a hospital and, like, within a day, sells his story to the National Enquirer, also notably cut out of the film. Now, how Travis explained what happened during those five days varies wildly from what is shown on the movie or in the movie. The most I think this is as far as the movie deviates from the quote unquote truth. So let's explain what Travis says happened. Travis version is, I think, borderline comical. In fact, while creating Fire in the Sky, uh, the studio felt that Wallen's recollection of what happened on the spaceship were too fuzzy and too similar to other close encounters. That's why they brought in Tracy Torme to write a better story. So they really took everything he said, threw it out because it sounded too fake and wrote uh, what they put in that they finally put in the movie. So what does Travis say happened? Travis claims he woke up in a hospital type room and he was being observed by three short 
bald creatures. He says he fought with them until a human wearing a helmet led him to another room. There he blacked out as three other humans put a clear plastic mask over his face, and he doesn't remember anything else until he found himself walking down a highway with the UFO just zooming away above him. In the movie, Travis gets probed, and it's all these flashbacks, and it's tremendously compelling. And like I said, it even holds up now. It's, I think, the best part of this movie. And I'm glad that they, you know, improved upon reality, quote unquote, but it just further sort of degrades this movie's claim to accuracy, especially how much they hype it up for being a true story. Travis gets abducted, gone for five days, comes back, immediately gets in touch with the National Enquirer and sells exclusive rights to his story. What happens then? The National Enquirer hires a man named Jack McCarthy to come down to a hotel and give uh, Travis a polygraph test. And he does this on November 16th. This is about two or four days after he's returned. McCarthy spent two hours with Travis going over how a polygraph test works, you know, explaining the questions. And then he finally gave Travis the test and he failed with a rating of gross deception. So Travis couldn't fail this test any harder. And McCarthy specifically calls out that Travis tried tricks, known tricks to beat a polygraph test. Uh, For example, intentionally holding your breath to sort of throw off the readings. Um, So McCarthy took his information, he brings it to the National Enquirer, and the National Enquirer goes, okay, that's interesting. Here, sign this NDA, never talk about this. Thank you, have a great day. Send McCarthy on his way and sets up another polygraph test. This time, the person told Travis the specific questions he would be asked in advance, which is a huge violation of polygraph protocol. Um, And surprise, surprise, he managed to pass that one. And that's the one the National Enquirer used in their story. Um, And they, of course, never mentioned that they failed the first polygraph test. From there, it did not take Travis long to start monetizing his story. Of course, I mentioned he sold it to the National Enquirer in 1978. He wrote his own book. And then in the 80s, he sold the rights to Paramount Pictures to make fire in the sky. For Mike Rogers and his crew, Uh, What happened? Well, they were able to break their contract. On the 18th of November, six days after Travis returned, Mark wrote the Forest Service that he could not complete his contract because of the UFO incident. Uh, And I quote, which caused me to lose my crew and make it difficult for any of them to go back on the job site. End quote. The Forest Service put the job back up for bid. They quickly found a company to finish it, and notably that uh, other company had no trouble finding anyone to work at the job site, despite what Mike was claiming. So what's happened since the movie? All right, so since the movie came out, uh, other polygraph tests have been given throughout the year, uh, throughout the years. Um, The movie noted in 1993, another polygraph test was given to the team and they passed again. That is true. In 2008, Travis Walton was on the game show, The Moment of Truth. And he was asked if he, in fact, was abducted by a UFO on November 5th, 1975, uh, which he, of course, replied with yes. The polygraph very dramatically determined that he was lying, um, which, of course, then Travis went on to explain how polygraph tests can not, you know, necessarily not be everything that people think that it is. Which is true. So it is weird how much of the story is dependent on the results of lie detector tests. When I think most people, you know, can concede that they may not be the most that may not be the most reliable form of finding out if someone's telling the truth. Travis, you know, he runs some sort of a UFO camp these days, and he continues to make appearances here and there. 
But overall, that's the story of Fire in the Sky. Personally, as much as I would like to believe in UFO abductions and extraterrestrials, I don't think this case holds a lot of water. The story itself doesn't sound that realistic, and when you look at sort of the totality of events, there is a much more plausible explanation for what happened. But what do you guys think? Hey, Mr. Spaceman, won't you please take me along? I won't do anything wrong. Hey, Mr. Spaceman, won't you please take me along for a ride? Woke up this morning, I was feeling quite weird. Had flies in my beard, my toothpaste was smeared.